0: everyone, so as you can see, the Bible reading is Luke chapter 12, 54 to 13, 21. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you were going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on your way, or your adversary may drag you off to, to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny now there were some present at, the t- at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in- suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Salam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, You too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard and went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. He said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig dig around it and fertilise it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her for, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you were set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, The synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Thanks, Dave. Well, uh, friends, we're
1: traveling with Jesus down the road, the dusty road that leads him to Jerusalem and his death on the cross from Luke's gospel. As Jesus travels along the road, he teaches those who would follow him about his kingdom and what it looks like for him to be king of that kingdom. So keep that passage open and uh, we're going to dig into it together. We're going to do a little bit of a Quentin Tarantino movie by going to the conclusion that Jesus draws in verses 18 to 21 before we then go back to work out how we ended up there in the first place. All right, let's pray and then we'll jump in. Our Father, thanks for these few moments we have together now to consider Jesus from Luke's Gospel. We pray that you would help us to see him clearly. And that by your spirit, you may enable us to respond rightly to who he is with repentance and faith and delight in him. And we pray this for his sake. Amen. Well, it's Sunday, the 14th of February, which is a significant Sunday for me. Um, Why might that be the case? Say again. It's my anniversary. It was Sunday the 14th of February 2016 that I started as senior minister here. And so tomorrow morning I start year number six um, as the rector of All Saints Petersham, which I'm very thankful for. Um, So it was one of those weeks where I I stopped to think about where we are and our area and the mission of our church, seeking to make disciples uh, and share the life and hope that Jesus brings with those around us. So I went on to the Inner West Council uh, statistics kind of place where you, where you go and uh, saw that there's 200,000 people in the Inner West, which is a lot, isn't it? And uh, I zeroed in a little bit further and worked out that in this geographical area, it's not quite represented by my <laughs> red square, but if you walk, say, a K that way to Officeworks, if you walk a K that way to the edge of Marrickville Park and a K that way to 7-11 and a K that way to Parramatta Road, within that geographical area, you've got about sixteen to 18,000 people. Which again is a lot of people in a very small area. And as you think about those 18,000 people within a K in each direction of our church building and the fact that so many of them don't know Jesus and are facing an eternity separated from him and life and love and all that is good. It can feel like a daunting thing, like it did to me, thinking about during the week, especially when you consider that we're not that many people That we seem like a pretty kind of average little dinky church here in Petersham, trying to do our best to share Jesus with those around us. And you can start to lose sight of what Jesus' kingdom is all about and how it grows and how you know it. Jesus reminds us in our passage tonight that we see his kingdom grow not necessarily in the big and impressive and the obvious things. Jesus' kingdom grows more often than not away from the influences and away from the spotlight and away from the front page as his word and spirit take root in people's hearts and minds. And in a million unseen ways, Jesus' kingdom takes captive of people's lives turns them around and sets them on a trajectory that isn't separation from him, but fellowship. That isn't an eternity lost in despair and darkness, but an eternity of life and joy in his kingdom. What I want us to see tonight is that Jesus' unstoppable global kingdom grows even when we can't see it. And therefore, therefore we need to see the signs. We need to hear the warnings. And we need to delight in our Saviour. There's an outline if you're playing along at home. Jesus' unstoppable global kingdom grows. So see the signs. Hear the warnings. And delight in the Saviour. Jesus' unstoppable global kingdom grows is the conclusion that Jesus... Uh, drew at the end of our Bible reading in verse 18 why don't you pick it up and we'll read it again verse 18 then Jesus asked what is the kingdom of God like what shall I compare it to it's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden it grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches and again he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like a yeast that a woman took and mixed into, a, into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus tells these two parables of kind of tiny little things that have huge impact and work in kind of unseen and miraculous ways. A mustard seed has no right to grow into a tree so big to have birds come and find shelter and and life in it. But that's what the kingdom of God's like. It doesn't look impressive. It doesn't look special. More often than not, it's growing in unseen ways until suddenly there it is, providing refuge for the nations in Jesus the Saviour. And you see that picture of the dough. The dough doesn't change itself. But the yeast works all the way through that tiny little organism that goes through a vast amount of dough to create big change in significant ways. It's a great encouragement for us, I think, as we consider the way the kingdom of God takes root in people's lives and brings about change in so many small and unseen and yet eternally significant ways. And reminds us not to look for the things that are big and impressive, that are shiny and valuable in the eyes of the world, but to set aside Jesus as Lord in our hearts and to delight in that miracle and to depend upon him every day. Imagine the person right now in Sydney in hotel quarantine who's sitting there on their own and picks up the Gideon's Bible and meets Jesus for the very first time with no one else around and no one else to tell and no one else to show. There's the kingdom of God, unstoppable, growing in the world. Imagine the bloke on the train silently praying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name an invisible expression of the kingdom of god taking root in someone's life and having an impact in the world imagine the child at the dinner table who's simply hearing the voice of jesus as their mother reads from the gospels imagine the uni student at 2am who chooses to listen to their audio bible instead of looking at porn the kingdom of god taking root and overthrowing the ways of sin and Satan in this world. Imagine the grandmother in a different state who every morning prays for her grandchildren. Imagine the the businessman who anonymously gives to support a Bible college in Kenya. Imagine the kindy mum who offers to pray for our stressed out friend at the school gate. Imagine the guy who finally Muscles up enough courage to ask his brother to read Luke's gospel with him and to meet Jesus for himself. Imagine the family who pray on the drive to school for our link missionaries in the morning. Imagine the growth group who patiently cares for that prickly growth group member. It's not me. Imagine the scripture teacher who faithfully teaches about Jesus despite their own fears and despite obnoxious students. Or the dyslexic teenager who battles their way through a psalm every night before bed. Or the retiree who joyfully welcomes visitors at church. Or the cancer patient who, patiently and prayerfully, sitting in the chemo chair, casts all her anxieties upon her heavenly father because she knows he cares for her seemingly unimpressive, mostly invisible ways, that Jesus' unstoppable, eternal, hope-giving, life-affirming, Satan-rejecting, sin-defying kingdom of God advances in the world. Doesn't look glossy and big and impressive, but it's the most eternally significant happening thing happening in the world around you right now which is always the way Jesus' kingdom has advanced. Imagine the Lord of history, the saviour of the world, walking slowly to Jerusalem on a dusty road, knowing that he goes to a brutal beating and a mocking crowd and an unjust trial and a humiliating death to restore God's world and to reconcile us to our heavenly Father to forgive our sins and to bring life and hope to a weary and a very wayward world. That is the great joy. That is the amazement. That is the wonder of Jesus' eternal, unstoppable, global kingdom that advances in the world. And if that's the conclusion that Jesus draws, then we need to hear him even more um, Clearly, tonight, where he challenges us to see the signs, to hear the warnings, and to delight in the Saviour. So go back with me now to verse 54 in chapter 12, where we see the signs. Jesus said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. You hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? And why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Are you going with your, as you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled on the way or your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny." Jesus is saying, you know how the world works, right? In that last one, isn't it better to um, be reconciled along the way than to roll the dice with the judge? If that's true, how much more with the judge of all the world who judges justly and righteously and precisely the lives of all who will stand before him on the final day? Why would you roll the dice with the perfect judge of heaven and earth, the one with the keys to heaven and and hell? Much better to be reconciled along the way. Much better to have repented and believed the gospel, to have your sins removed from your shoulders as they're placed on the shoulders of Jesus at the cross so that you can stand before the judgment seat of the judge of all the earth with assurance and confidence on the last day rather than with your sin on your shoulders that you will be judged for justly and righteously. The great writer Leon Morris said, these people could discern the sky, but they could not discern the heavens. You can see the way the world works. There's a cloud, it's going to rain there's the south wind, it's going to be hot. If you can read financial markets and opinion polls, if you can discern test scores and social trends and look at property markets, then look and hear and listen to Jesus' words. Read the signs. As you see his life, as you hear his teaching, as you see his miracles, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised. Jesus is risen. Read the signs. The kingdom of God is advancing in the world, and Jesus is the king of that kingdom. Judge rightly. But here's the thing, right? You read the weather wrong. You might get wet because you forgot your umbrella. You get Jesus wrong and eternity is at stake. You get opinion polls wrong. You muck up a test score. You fail at the property game. There's no great consequence. Get Jesus wrong and there's eternal consequences. If you see Jesus clearly and can read the signs of his life, his teaching, his death and his resurrection, that he is the saviour king that God promised long ago, who stepped into the world to die for our sins and to be raised for eternal life that we get to share. Well, to see him rightly means the world, doesn't it? changes everything, because he'll never leave you where you are, doing what you're doing and thinking what you're thinking. If you read the signs and see Jesus clearly, you've got to change direction. You've got to turn away from sin and selfishness to follow Jesus with faith in him. So secondly, see see the signs, but also hear the warnings. Have a look at verses 1 to 9 of chapter 13. Now, there was some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Jesus has given us such a gift in this little section. right? To hear the warnings. He points out the unspeakable suffering of people that we see all around us in this world. Evidence that this world is wayward and weary under the, the weight and the burden of sin and death. And that when you look around and you see this unspeakable suffering that people go through, or maybe you walk through it yourself, it makes sense that our question is why? What did I do to deserve this? What did they do to deserve this? Is this unjust suffering that happens in the world? We seek out reasons and Jesus doesn't give them except to say this world is broken and burdened under the weight of sin and death. It groans longing to be redeemed. And we're going to be caught up in that in lots of different ways that don't have specific reasons. Sometimes when we sin, there's there's immediate consequences. There's cause and effect. right? But so often in this world, we suffer not because we've done something particular to deserve it, but because we too are caught up in a sinful and rebellious world. And Jesus' explanation here, to hear the warnings, to see the sin and suffering in the world, and to take it as a sign to repent, not because you caused that, but it's a reminder that evil and injustice, sin and suffering doesn't just happen out there, it also comes from in here. Evil and injustice isn't something that's over there to wave your finger at or shake your fist at or shake your head at. But Jesus says it's out of your heart that comes anger. It's out of your heart that comes rage. It's from the desires of your heart that comes sexual immorality. It's out of your mouth that lies come. It's out of your heart that selfishness rears its head each and every day. So as we see evil and injustice out there, Jesus says, don't just seek reasons that God, for his good reasons, doesn't often give us. Instead, when you see the evil and injustice and the suffering of this world, take it as an opportunity to repent. Repent is that kind of religiously sounding word that means to change. To change your mind, to change direction, to turn around to stop going your way and to start going Jesus' way. The second little bit that Jesus points us to, to hear the warning, is the parable about the vineyard and the man who's looking for the fruit and can't see it. He wants to cut down the fig tree And the vine dresser says, just wait, hold back your pruning shears, hold back the chainsaw, let's give it some time and see. If with the right fertiliser and a bit of digging it might bear fruit. It's a funny little parable in that particular place, but it's a picture of what God is doing in the world. When we look out and see all the sin and suffering and the evil and injustice out there and in here, and you might shake your head or shake your fist at God and say, why haven't you wrapped things up? Why haven't you dealt with sin and suffering, evil and injustice completely yet? Is it because you're distant and indifferent? Is it because you're a jerk and you just don't care? The reminder here is that God is not slow and he's not distant and he's not indifferent. He is patient And he's gracious and he's holding back his judgment and the end of history because he doesn't want anyone to perish but all to come to repentance. God said through the prophet Ezekiel, As surely as I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they would turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn, turn from your evil ways and live, declares the Lord. So he gives time, he gives warnings, he holds back in his grace and his mercy. He says, Repent change your mind, change direction, turn back to him and trust in his goodness and mercy. Because while he is patient, he is also just and he is holy and he will hold the world to account. In verses 6 to 9, God is looking for the fruit of repentance, the turning of hearts and minds in humble trust to follow Jesus and to walk in his ways. And that's not the fruit that he's seeing all around him. Because what he keeps pointing out to those around him is the fruit of religious hypocrisy, which is not the fruit of repentance. And so finally, as Jesus confronts this religious hypocrisy, His encouragement to us is to delight in him. Have a look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free? On the Sabbath, from what bound her? When he said all this, his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. Jesus says the fruit of failed religion and hypocrisy is that they treat their ox better than this woman made in the image of God. You've missed the whole point of the law that you claim to keep, Jesus says, to the religious leaders. God gave the Sabbath, the day of rest, for his people to stop work and to delight in him, to depend upon him. To remind us that life is not about activity and achievement, it's about delighting in God's goodness and resting in his provision. And the religious experts of Jesus' day had done what we can so easily do, turning a moment of trust and dependence like the Sabbath into something of achievement and activity. Look how good I am at not doing anything on the Sabbath, is the kind of attitude of their hearts. Bet you I can rest better than you rest. Bet you I'm better at doing nothing, then you are at doing nothing. Maybe if I can rest best, then I'll be good enough for God. It's silly, isn't it? It's a silly kind of attitude. Instead of taking that moment to delight in God's goodness and to rest in his provision, to be reminded that God's kingdom and life in this world isn't about our activity and our achievement, but it's about his unstoppable eternal kingdom taking root in the hearts and minds of people as they hear the gospel and respond to Jesus with repentance and faith. If all that's true, Jesus' kingdom is unstoppable kingdom of life and hope in his name. The kingdom that defies Satan. The kingdom of joy and eternal rest at his right hand. We need to see the signs of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. We need to hear the warnings that unless we too repent, we will perish. And we need to respond not with the activism and the activity and the achievement that makes us look good and places us at the centre of our own Christian lives. But with the same response of these people standing in front of Jesus who were delighted with all that he was doing. That's the response that Jesus calls for because of who he is and what his kingdom's like and because of the time that we live in. Delight in the Saviour in who he is in what he's doing in his death and resurrection for you. His ongoing work in your heart and mind by his word and spirit to keep changing you and turning you and making you more like him as you rest in his goodness and his provision, as you throw yourself on his mercy and delight that you have a saviour king in Jesus. Why don't we pray together? Our Father, we thank you so much for our saviour king Jesus, for his life, his death and his resurrection for his ongoing work in the world by your spirit, turning men and women and children away from themselves and towards your mercy and goodness. Help us to see him clearly, to repent and believe, and to delight in our Saviour Jesus. For your glory we pray. Amen.